is the most dangerous administration we have ever had for the future of this country. the future of the world and if uh, if trying to save God's planet is not a religious issue I wouldn't know what was thank you for the question you just heard a response to a question about why a theologian would take a lot of interest in 9-11 the speaker's name was David Ray Griffin David Ray Griffin who had been ailing from cancer finally succumbed on November 25th 2022 at the age of 83. David Griffin was an American professor of philosophy of religion and theology at the Claremont School of Theology and Claremont Graduate University from 1973 to 2004, but he is perhaps best known by the general public as one of the giants in the field of investigating the evidence surrounding the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. While he was not part of the early crop of writers, researchers, and investigators, his early books rose the profile of the movement several notches with this high-profile, serious scholar making himself a reliable and valuable part of the crew, steering the ship of grassroots 9-11 activism through dark clouds of smears and storms of outrage and misbelief and arriving finally into the harbor of truth and justice. My name is Michael Welch, the host and producer of the Global Research News Hour, the program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus and community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. The show takes place on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji, Cree, Diné, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show which while mindful of numerous injustices featured on the broadcast, also seeks to correct the injustices to correct the injustices against these first people of what is called Turtle Island. This show is also podcast at the site globalresearch.ca and airs on several partner stations across Canada and the United States. This week we feature a tribute to the work of Dr. Griffin and invite many people who have known him to participate with their own ideas about what made the man exceptional. Most of these figures were from within the 9-11 Truth Movement and provide insights on what led him on the journey he embraced with an almost spiritual passion with no interest whatsoever in the new brand of celebrity he had stumbled into. This special episode of the Global Research News Hour is entitled Modern Prophet in the Age of U.S. Empire, a tribute to David Ray Griffin. David Ray Griffin was born August 8, 1939, and raised in small-town Oregon. According to Canadian journalist Barry Zwicker, it was his brother-in-law's death while fighting in Vietnam that got him more focused on political activism, with a special focus on deep ecology, pluralism in religion, and elsewhere, the scientific method, and the nuclear peril. He had attended a seminar by Dr. John B. Cobb, which acquainted with him with process philosophy as developed by the mathematician and philosopher Alfred North Whitehead. The concept essentially rethinks the traditional thought of actions of God on the world 
as not only all-powerful and unchanged by events of humans in the world, but is effective by human choices. In a sense, as Cobb put it, it emphasizes becoming over substance. Fairly complicated to introduce people to this subject, but it did help Griffin to provide a sound basis for addressing contemporary social and ecological issues. John Cobb wrote the following about David Ray Griffin. Our first responsibility is to truth. I have never known anyone more committed to truth than David Griffin. He took stands that were not popular either in the church or in the secular world. He sought no reward. He adopted Whitehead's philosophy because it rings true, although both church and university opposed it. When 9-11 occurred, David appreciated that it was an important event with drastic consequences. He saw that it was being described falsely and used for destructive purposes. To announce the truth about it was harmful to his career and even to the process movement. But for him, such considerations were no determinative. Finding and sharing the truth was his calling as a Christian theologian. I could write with enthusiasm about his recent books. However, although the churches and the theological community have distanced themselves from him, I consider his work on 9-11 his greatest theological accomplishment. Perhaps when the public knows the truth, questions will be raised about the imperial foreign policy the neoconservatives imposed on our nation in the aftermath. What follows now is a series of conversations focused for the most part on what he had to offer, what made him unique, and what kind of a legacy he left for people who also found their calling in the movement for 9-11 Truth. My name is Carol Brie. Um, I was I was born in California and I was raised here, but, but I traveled extensively and I became an activist in 1992. And in the wake of the events of September 11th, 2001, I, I guess I was one of the first people out on the streets questioning the official narrative of 9-11. David Ray Griffin had sort of dismissed a lot of the questions about 9-11 initially because he didn't find anything very substantial. But there was a pastor, and his name was Paul Burks, and his son, Fred Burks, had um, a want-to-know website, and it, it organized information in a very clear way, uh, especially raising the questions about 9-11. And, and I think Paul drew Fred's work to David Ray Griffin's attention, and that helped him dig deeper into the truth about 9-11. And, and then David, his brilliance is really taking a lot of information, distilling it, and presenting it in a very comprehensible way. And because of his stature and the fact that he has published 25 books, it made it easier for him to find a publisher and to get that uh, body of evidence out to a much larger audience. And even David Ray Griffin found um, that a lot of 
his work, which is normally lauded and praised and reaches a wide audience, there was a there was a deafening silence on the part of the media, even when Publishers Weekly said it was this is the best work book of the week. Um, David was rather modest. He didn't want to go to an event where there were lots and lots of people um, who who had done a lot of research. And um, he did go and speak in Santa Rosa, though, uh, one of his first talks on 9-11 Truth. And we were able to invite him and persuade him to come and speak in the Bay Area. He, he was invited to speak before the Commonwealth Club. And then he also spoke for the Northern California 9-11 Truth Alliance. And there was another group that also co-sponsored our event that also helped pro, um, promote it. And we did uh, have uh, a full house and people were turned away, including Richard Gage, uh, ironically, when we did have him come speak in the Bay Area. He was a great speaker. He had a, a, a gentleness, a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, he was a person that uh, you didn't have to spend much time with him to just like him and feel comfortable around him. And I, Ken Jenkins, who I worked very closely with, who uh, became David Ray Griffin's videographer, and he filmed a lot of David's lectures and and edited them and got them out on DVDs and got them out on 9-11 TV to cable access news stations all over the country. Um, he said that uh, David Ray Griffin is much more comfortable in his slippers, meaning around the house, rather than being out in public speaking at a podium in front of thousands and thousands of people. Uh, he was that kind of guy. He was he he was relaxed and um, very personable and could crack jokes. And uh, he, he when he did give lectures, he could be very um, articulate, persuasive, compelling. But he also was. Uh, would sprinkle a lot of humor in his lectures. And I think part of the reason was humor deflates fear, which is really good. And a lot of this information uh, is so contrary to people's worldview that his approach was uh, a very gentle approach. And uh, he probably reached more people to open their eyes to the reality of 9-11 uh, than anyone else in, in the movement uh, because of who he was and, and his, his, his gifts at communicating. I, I think that he was recognized as one of the most influential um, intellectuals of, of the 20th century. I mean, he, his work was very respected. It was translated into innumerable languages. Um, even his theology, process theology, it was particularly Asian uh, languages. There's uh, a great um, uh, commonality between Buddhism and process theology, believe it or not. Uh, in recognizing a, a certain oneness 
the um, the divinity within all life uh, the that uh, that he 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 strongly believed in as a Christian, but it, but it, it's also I think at, at the heart of uh, many religions and philosophies. His work, particularly on 9-11, I think will help and has already helped to wake up Americans. We need people who have integrity and courage and honesty who can call a spade a spade and recognize when people are being deliberately deceived um, and manipulated, especially through fear and terror. And what was 9-11? I mean, it was a huge psychological operation. It was a false flag. Uh, and it also laid the foundation for the surveillance state. And I think that uh, David Ray Griffin, uh, he, he called people to action to uh, stop the, to, to put a halt to the, all the atrocities that were being committed under the, under the, the false narrative of 9-11, the, the whole bogus war on terror. I remember, best of all, his laughter and his humanity. Uh, and I just, I, I remember just feeling uh, just this incredible warmth and connection. David um, embodied process theology and he he just he just had so much love and such an affinity towards other people uh and a and a great way of uh just connecting with with people uh with his with his care his concern his honesty um and that and he expressed it so beautifully i i i just have so much love and respect and admiration for him and i think he 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 lived by his belief system. Uh, and and so that's what I just remember. I remember just feeling feeling that uh, that that love. My name is Ken Jenkins. I'm uh, educated as a electrical engineer at Carnegie Mellon. I studied a lot of psychology starting then at uh, Carnegie and uh, for the rest of my life pretty much. I've been working with the 9-11 Truth Movement for, um, well, since a week after the event, I started researching. And I one of my major contributions has been uh, my profession, which is video production. And so I've produced, uh, uh, gosh, I've lost count, many, let's say many, many, many dozens or possibly a few hundred videos for the movement. And um, that's how I, I came to meet and work with David Ray Griffin, uh, uh, which is uh, was one of my major video contributions to, to the movement. I first encountered David in person uh, on the phone uh, when I called him in request to of uh, Carol Berlay, who wanted to include him in the first multi-day event, uh, 9-11 event, which was in San Francisco in March of 2004. So I talked to him about that possibility. He 
very politely declined um, and uh, we didn't see him again here in the Bay Area. Well, we saw him here in the Bay Area the first time uh, in October of 2000, uh, also 2004, when he spoke uh, his first public presentation uh, in Santa Rosa near where I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I went there with my uh, other video crew person that I was working with uh, to videotape that event. And about, I don't know, roughly a half a dozen other people there also got video. And I was able to get the footage from the rest of them and make the first video that I made for David Ray Griffin from that event. And the main contribution I made was that I added, he, he never works with PowerPoint when he speaks. And I added about 150 or so uh, uh, graphics, pictures, and um, a few video clips to illustrate what he was talking about. I'd say David's main legacy is his books, uh, by far. He, he's an amazing writer. Uh, he's, uh, he's done dozens and dozens of books, uh, including over a dozen for the 9-11 Truth Movement. And... Uh, he's he's such a good writer that uh, any subject he writes on, you know, makes a good book. And so that's one of his strengths uh, in terms of his books and his presentations. Uh, so the I think the videos might be a longer, more enduring and more popular legacy, but his uh, his his books definitely stand out. Mm -hmm. Definitely stand out as his legacy, uh, how he responded to the general public and to criticism from outside the movement. Um, he did, I think, very well. He he didn't let it phase him. He handled it coolly and uh, calmly and uh, rationally. Um, you know, he was able to uh, address criticisms that were put out there. And so, you know, he gets an A for that. <laughs> I had a, a chat with him one time. This was after I had produced most of the videos that I did with him. I think almost all of them. <laughs> um, and uh, I was kind of needing to phase out of doing that because I was starting to work for architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and produce videos for them, working with Richard Gage. And uh, because I am an engineer by education uh, and because the the uh, demolitions of the three towers, uh, World Trade Center towers in New York is by far the strongest 9-11 truth evidence we've ever had and may ever have. <laughs> um, it it uh, Obviously, I wanted to work with AE and, and make their videos as professional as I made David's. And he had arrived at the same conclusion that he needed to uh, no longer have me be his exclusive videographer because uh, he, he felt that uh, there were other people that were asking him and I wasn't as available and so forth. And because I was thinking the exact same thing, it was just this easy, easy, what well, could have been an incredibly awkward um, conversation, possibly even emotional. Um, you know, oh my God, I'm fired. You know, <laughs> uh, it was just the opposite. It was total harmony. We had total agreement. It was just so easy that um, it was a joy. So um, I think that's my favorite uh, experience with him.
I'm Richard Gage, AIA architect of 30 years, founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth and the former CEO thereof. Now I'm independent with my wife um, at Richard Gage 9-11, where we present to uh, the world our uh, concern, uh, not only about the truth about 9-11, but the truth about COVID and the jab. It was March 29th, 2006, and I was minding my own business, <laughs> driving back from a construction observation meeting in uh, Lafayette, California, where I worked for a firm, uh, an architecture firm. And what happened was I, uh, I turned on my radio and here's uh, Bonnie Faulkner, uh, a brave interview host on, on uh, this free speech radio program. And uh, I, I said, okay, uh, listen. Uh, so here's, uh, she's interviewing David Ray Griffin. And uh, the first I'd ever heard of him or her, in fact, or any alternative theory as to how the towers came down, uh, I thought for sure that this was the greatest uh, con on why, why is it even on the radio? It was challenging my very worldview because uh, I'm a Reagan Republican. Uh, I'm, I, I wanted to go into Afghanistan and Iraq and get those bastards who did this to us. So I'm, I'm just challenged to my core uh, with, with this uh, uh, insinuation that our government had lied to us because what he was talking about was the evidence of explosives in all three towers, not, not just the, the witnesses of explosions, but the forensic evidence uh, available in the pile afterward with molten metal, which can't be created by in the official account whatsoever, uh, jet fuel and so forth. So, uh, and the evidence of incendiaries, very high tech incendiaries, uh, thermite, nanothermite. So uh, I'm, I, I, was, I was just blown away. And it turns out, <clears throat> I had to pull my van over, by the way, in, in a park. I couldn't listen to this and and process it and drive at the same time. It was it was deeply affecting me. Well, then she announced uh, that he was going to be at the Grand Lake Theater the next day, March 30th, 2006. I had to be there. So I got there, but I was late and the place was packed and 600 people had come to see David Ray Griffin uh, give a lecture. He had already written a book on the subject of 9-11. This was 9-11 uh, uh, New Pearl Harbor, disturbing questions about the Bush administration. And so I'm, I went home and listened to the live stream because I couldn't even get into the, into the theater. And what I heard was just challenged me to my core. I just, <clears throat> I, I, I verified it over the next few weeks and by God, he was right. There were other scientists he quoted, such as Stephen Jones and Kevin Ryan, uh, who uh, had put together uh, a, a powerful body of, of evidence uh, proving that the towers had come down, not by uh, airplanes and, and fires, uh, but 
uh, by explosive demolition. And man, these are buildings. And I'm an architect, I thought. So David Ray Griffin was challenging me uh, to my core. You got to do something about this. I'm doing something about this, uh, he said. Uh, so he inspired me uh, to, to put something together. Uh, and, uh, and I did. I put a PowerPoint together. I went out talked to some different people and they were convinced everybody I talked to was convinced. Finally, I uh, gave a series of presentations uh, around the country and outside of the country. And there was David Ray Griffin uh, speaking uh, alongside me, for instance, in Montreal, Canada. And, and I got to meet him and that was a powerful, powerful meeting. And I, I was humbled by the, work of this man he'd given uh, uh dozens and dozens and dozens of presentations in many countries um since then transforming the uh the landscape of 9-11 truth giving it depth and validity because his logic was deep uh, uh and and powerful he he could move people uh dispassionately he 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 would be extremely objective based on facts rather than, than his own emotional influence. Uh, and, and that was the, the beauty of it. He would step aside and let the evidence uh, convince people. And that's why I was convinced because he didn't seem to have an ax to grind uh, whatsoever. Indeed, um, uh, Ken Jenkins brought Stephen Jones, David Ray Griffin and myself in 2009 or 10, or maybe it was 2008, <clears throat> early on, he, uh, he wanted to have the three of us filmed together, uh, creating this, uh, this, this, this uh, discussion about uh, what really happened on 9-11. And so I got to meet uh, David Ray Griffith. This, I think this was the first time, actually, that I got to meet him. And and Stephen Jones. So in this meeting, uh, I, I was literally shaking because there were cameras, there were lights, and I hadn't experienced this before. And I had forgotten my lines. And I looked at David and I said, I'm, I don't know if I said I'm scared. I said, uh, but he could see I was quite nervous. And he said something about it. And I said, I admitted it. And uh, I looked to him and listen to him say this doesn't even phase me <laughs> he had been through four or five years of it already and this was my first uh time so boy it took me another four or five years to to get where he was uh so calm so cool so collected one of the people that was deeply influenced by him was his own teacher as i mentioned john cobb now listen to what john cobb wrote about this book by david as he's facing his own death. He says, uh, no academic is less concerned about the academic acceptability of a topic than David Ray Griffin. If the topic is important, he tackles it, concerned only for the truth. No one presents the evidence more objectively or argues from it with a greater detachment. If you think the question of whether there is life after death is important and would like to know the reasons for its denial, the evidence in its favor, and the conclusions of a dispassionate and insightful thinker who encourages you to think for yourself, 
then this book is for you. <laughs> That's John Cobb, Professor Emeritus Claremont, School of Theology, David's own teacher. So pretty powerful examination. And what does he conclude, by the way, that yes, um, uh, it, it, there is, uh, the evidence is very clear to support uh, life after death, because what he did is he looked into uh, the evidence uh, of physics itself, of science itself, but also uh, the evidence of mediumship, uh, near-death experiences, crisis apparitions, and cases of reincarnation. Mm -hmm. So he was fearless. He, he examined Buddhism as well uh, and, and found uh, lots of important uh, parallels and evidence uh, in uh, that uh, philosophy and religion. So uh, he was a, a man much, much greater than, than any of us probably know if we haven't read all of his books, which I certainly fall into that category. You are listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and heard over a number of radio stations across Canada and the United States. It is also available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. You're hearing a tribute to the life and legacy of the academic David Ray Griffin through a number of people who worked with him over the course of the years since September 11, 2001. The next speaker is Barry Zwicker. He was a Canadian journalist and journalism critic and also the first person in the world to question what happened on September 11th on national television. In his 2006 book, Towers of Deception, the media cover-up of 9-11, David Ray Griffin was the only 9-11 scholar to get an entire chapter devoted to him. I asked Barry to identify the main points about David Ray Griffin. Well... It, it was his pursuit of truth that arose from his theology. His theology was very uh, nuanced, very complicated, very deep. Uh, and, uh, and it was called pro process theology. And there must be a lot of professors of theology with deep intellects, but few who applied their philosophy and religion to political issues in as urgent and courageous a way with critical thinking, as David Ray Griffin did. He's really a pioneer among Christian theologians. And uh, his output also was prodigious. Before those 10 books that he wrote about or co-authored about 9-11, he had written 25 books and 160 essays on the philosophy of religion, on theology and the philosophy of science. And so this was very important about the science because he, David Ray Griffin, was at one with the British philosopher, mathematician, and political activist Bertrand Russell, my personal hero, in demanding evidence as the golden requirement in all areas of life and study at all times. And uh, so that's why David Ray Griffin uh, cottoned on to 9-11 a bit late. It was a few months after it uh, when a colleague told him that he should check out 
something. And then not that long after, because David Ray Griffin was a fast writer, incredibly, as well as prolific, he wrote The New Pearl Harbor, Disturbing Questions About the Bush Administration and 9-11. And in that book, 10 of the of, of the chapters, eight of eight of the 10 chapters in that book are devoted to evidence. So yeah. that was very important with him. And that's why he could step above uh, other theologians and other intellectuals for that matter to courageously come to conclusions because he followed the truth wherever it led. My name's Elizabeth Woodworth and uh, I live in Victoria, British Columbia. And I, uh, my career was in medical librarianship um, I worked for 25 years as the head librarian for the British Columbia Ministry of Health. So I have quite a good background in health research and generally in research. And I retired in 2002. Um, so what happened was my neighbor next door, who is a psychologist for the school board, knocked on the door and handed me a book called The New Pearl Harbor. And he said, um, Elizabeth, I think you might find this interesting. So I've, I read it. This is April 2006. It took me three days to read it. And I suddenly realized, you know, this is not the world I thought I was living in. Like this book was by David Ray Griffin. And it was laid out the way the information uh, for complicity versus coincidence was laid out so thoroughly that there was no way of getting around that it had, um, you know, that it was probably uh, uh, something that originated within the United States. So I thought, okay, and I looked online to see if I could find reviews for the book, and there were none, uh, not, not in the media. So I thought, okay, well, it, it's uh, books three or four years old now, and I'm going to review it, and I'm going to send it to the New York Times. So I wrote a review. I found the author. David Griffin. And I wrote to him to say, you know, I've written this review and I'd like to get permission from the publisher. So uh, he wrote back and he said, um, uh, would, would you be able to show me the review? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny because um, he, you know, it, it's just unusual for anybody to do that. So I did, I sent it to him. And then he wrote back and he said, uh, um, that's a good review, but um, it would be even better if you made these changes. <laughs> so here's the author helping me to write the review of his book. So anyway, we had a few email uh, uh, exchanges be before during that year, 2006. And then it reached a point where he thought that I might be uh, helpful as a proofreader. So he asked me if I would... Um, <clears throat> Uh, look over a chapter, uh, a chapter out of uh, debunking 9/11 debunking, and so that was late in the year, and I I read it carefully and I looked at old footnotes and and sent it to him and and he replied he said two or three good proofreaders have, have already been over this and you found more than all of them put together would you like to look at some more chapters. 
the New Statesman, which is a very long-standing British, highly respected publication, newspaper. It goes back for hundreds of years. And they, in 2009, they said, they wrote something up called The People Who Matter Most Today. And uh, there were 50 people that mattered most today. And one of them was David Ray Griffin. And, um, but he, he mattered uh, not because he, he invented penicillin or something. He, he mattered because um, he, he was a, a, a popular uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think the media has learned not to do that, you know, not to um, smear people that, that they want to, to, to shut up, basically, because all it does is raise their profile and get people curious. So that stopped um, that that kind of smearing in the in the mainstream media stopped. Whenever they smear you in the media, you know they're you know they're worried, and and the worst thing they can possibly do is smear you, and get more people <laughs> aware of you. Uh, not a lot of people probably know about the 9/11 consensus panel, but it was a panel of 23 people who. David and I assembled together to review the basic claims of the 9-11 Commission. And we examined 51 claims using the Delphi method, which is an, a, a method used in medicine for the review of evidence. Um, so 51 times we took an official claim and we sent it we, we analyzed it ourselves. We analyzed the evidence to refute it. And we sent that to these 23 panel members to review uh, whether they agreed or disagreed with the way we had analyzed it. And they would all make comments and send them back. We'd incorporate those comments and we would do that three times. So 23 people reporting back their, their uh, analysis three times, and they weren't allowed to talk to each other and influence each other. So that took seven years. We did five consensus points at a time for seven years, and the book was finally published by a good publisher, Interlink, um, in 2018, and the title of the book was 9-11 Unmasked, an international review panel investigation. Before we proceed any further, something must be stated about how, over the course of all manner of attacks from both the mainstream media and prominent critics of both the left and the right, calling them conspiracy theorists or worse, 9-11 Truth was united in their resistance. It was not. The movement became disjointed over some of the claims that arose. One example was the question of evidence that no plane hit the Pentagon. This claim was considered specious to some, including Northworthy figures like engineer Jim Hoffman. This divide was reportedly so profound that it raised questions about the consensus panel and how the result was truly a consensus rather than handpicking your experts to deliver what you say is a united response. David Griffin has had embraced the theory and spoke about it in his presentations. Eventually, he bowed out. Here are some of the points raised by people about the consensus panel. 
the consensus panel, which was promoted to him by uh, a medical researcher in Victoria, BC, Elizabeth Woodworth, and he always being cooperative, always looking for ways, in fact, to find consensus, went along with setting this up. And that consensus panel applied what's called the Delphi method, uh, which apparently works in achieving consensus on med medical issues, but is fatally ill-suited to doing so on social polit or political issues. So there were 22 members on the panel uh, before three others and myself resigned from it over to take an important instance that the panel could not agree because the rules said of the Delphi method said if four members or more disagreed with any point, it would be categorized as a lack of consensus. And this related to especially the facts about the Pentagon. The facts about the Pentagon are that no jetliner hit the Pentagon. There's a mountain of evidence showing that. But four members of the consensus panel would not agree to that. And I, I don't want to give their names, but from other evidence about them, they must have been agents of the state. And they were promoting the official uh, narrative about 9-11, which was that uh, passenger jet hit the Pentagon. So uh, David was so in favor of cooperation and consensus, consensus that he could not see, apparently, the trap he was led into by the others uh, mm -hmm. and found himself needing to declare that the Pentagon evidence of 9-11 being an inside job was unimportant. And that, to me, was the lowest point of his phenomenal work on behalf of 9-11 Truth. Uh, he said that, uh, <laughs> well, he was otherwise a prophet and a courageous seeker and finder and defender of truth. And that one misstep, uh, you know, the fact that he was such a giant puts that misstep into perspective referred earlier to my greatest hero, Bertrand Russell. To me, he was the greatest human being who ever lived that I know of. And yet at one point, Bertrand Russell, known among other things as a staunch opponent of, of the nuclear arms race, earlier in that arms race, he actually said that it would be okay to drop an atomic bomb on Russia if it did not uh, come around to being uh, a, a peaceful country. And later on, he completely admitted that he was way off on that. But if Bertrand Russell could be wrong about nuclear war, then any of us have the right, if you will, to be wrong about any large issue. Uh, they had assembled 23 experts in the 9-11 Truth Movement to all agree uh, on what are the 50 consensus points, 51 of them actually, uh, consensus points on the different areas of 9-11. This is a, 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 an effort that is, was colossal and uh, they, they all had to agree or achieve consensus uh, on these points.
And they did. And that was published. And I think that remains uh, one of the most powerful pieces of uh, largely forensic evidence uh, in the 9-11 truth movement. Very, very powerful. Um, criticism from within, within the movement, uh, unfortunately, is a, is a kind of a different matter because um, as people close to him have, have told me, and it's certainly been my experience, he's not a person that would easily admit to making mistakes and to uh, correcting them. The idea that no plane hit the Pentagon, and he really never seemed to let it go in all the years that he worked with the movement. And after all the, I don't know how many dozens of people within the movement, who most of which were, you know, qualified and able to address the issue very well, starting way back to uh, 2004 or before, um, he he never could fully let it go. He let go of some of the things that were um, more obvious. In fact, he let go of one of them at my request. I, uh, On one of the very earliest videos I worked on, he had some stuff about the Pentagon, as he did in a number of his videos and books. And um, one of the claims was that the hole was too small, the entry hole the plane made when it went into the building, which is, he again, he got from Terry Masson's book. And uh, turns out to be totally untrue. All you got to do is look at photographs <laughs> and there's the hole. It's very, very big, plenty big to fit all the heavy parts of a plane. And so it's an embarrassingly uh, huge mistake. Uh, but the, uh, and so that was the one where he put it, he mentioned that in a video and that I was editing and I knew it was incorrect. I'd seen the proof to the contrary. And so I, I told him, that and I sent him the proof at his request, and he allowed me to remove that one part of what he said about the Pentagon because he looked at the evidence and and realized, okay, that particular evidence doesn't hold up to, uh, I mean, that particular claim that the hole was too small doesn't hold up to any careful scrutiny. So that I was able to take out, and I don't recall him ever repeating that again in any other videos. But considering there's a boatload of evidence um, that a plane hit the Pentagon, it literally took five people all day to cover just part of the evidence. Um, the fact that he would never completely let that idea go is, is very unfortunate and very unfortunate that he couldn't have the respect to honor all these different people in the movement that, you know, presented him with all these evidence, all the evidence. And that's just the worst. Uh, it's the worst for the movement. Uh, it's it's, it's the, one of the biggest mistakes the movement has ever made. And he wasn't responsible for the original mistake. He was responsible for repeating it over and over, book after book, presentation after presentation in various uh, diminishing forms. As he learned more and more, he let go more and more evidence. It wasn't like he was completely stuck. But the, the basic essence, essence of the idea that, you know, the Flight 77, 757 hits Pentagon. He, he never seemed to be able to let that go. So uh, that was an, one kind of uh, unfortunate uh, trait that David had, which, uh, you know, was kind of sad that he couldn't um, be more flexible and admit that he'd made a mistake. But um, other than that, he was such an amazingly wonderful person in so many ways that 
it's actually a little awkward to have to to reveal the you know that one flaw but it was a very significant one they were they, they were blind copied so that they wouldn't nobody would be able to um reply to the group but somebody actually broke that and um tried to involve other people in his thinking. And that's the beauty of the Delphi method that's used in medicine is that uh, like if you meet in person around a table, there's always somebody who's more dominant. And so if, if you're meeting around the world virtually, some people will want to be more do dominant. That's why we use that method. So when somebody breaks it, they're already seeking domination. And um, we, had, we had to fire uh, that person from the job and two others who supported that person left also. So um, it was a bit of a crisis for the panel, but it went on, it, uh, you, you know, it wasn't gonna stop us. It's, it was difficult, like we, we didn't cover that issue in the, the Pentagon, uh, in, in the consensus panel. Uh, whether it was hit by, by a plane or not hit by a plane, because there's so much um, disagreement in the movement and there's evidence on both sides. Um, I, as far as taking things personally, I think David was above taking things personally. Um, I think he was inclined to believe that a plane had hit the Pentagon. Um, there are physicists in our movement on both sides of that issue. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, it's really difficult to discuss it because all these people like that met uh, on Friday with Richard Gage, they, they like each other and highly respect each other, but they don't agree about everything. I finally ask you to sum up what the legacy of David Ray Griffin will be for themselves and the people broadly. He he followed his passion. He had amazing energy, and it came from that basic enthusiasm. I think he was filled with the spirit of the divine, and and it, it shows through his writings, through his talk, and and uh, it, uh, through his humor and 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 the love that uh, everyone. Uh, could feel for him that was that was so tangible, so real. That is transcends, I would say, death. And that everyone could still feel his presence. He's still alive. He's in our memory. He's in our heart, our hearts. And so we will share that. Um, and and we'll see him again. <laughs> I'd like to say that David Ray Griffin is clearly one of the most important per people ever to be part of the 9-11 Truth Movement. Uh, the, the many books he wrote and the numbers of video presentations he gave uh, are, are priceless. And he added so much respect uh, as a college professor, as a very intelligent, successful author. He added so much uh, credibility and respect to our movement just by who he was, what a great person he was, what a, just a fine example of humanity he was. Um, it was, it was, yeah, he, he made the, some of the best contributions to the movement of anyone ever. And uh, I will be forever 
deeply grateful for what he did and also for giving me an opportunity to to videotape and, and work with him to assure that he would have the best possible videos. That in my book, Towers of Deception, the media cover-up of 9-11, I devoted a full chapter uh, to David Ray Griffin, calling him a modern-day prophet. And I'd just like to read uh, three or four paragraphs from that chapter, actually uh, toward the end of it, I guess, uh, that, that do uh, illustrate my personal experience with him that reflected so much about his character. And I'm going to read from it right now. Griffin has become a mentor to the 9-11 truth movement, connecting people to each other, passing about significant information, encouraging effective principled nonviolent action. Without accepting any office within the 9-11 truth movement, he's nevertheless a major leader of it. He's made himself available, and as of the time this was written, for more than 130 radio interviews about 9-11, at first he refused virtually all uh, invitations to public speaking. When I write about made himself available, I'm thinking of his generosity when I asked if he would participate in a radio program on Toronto's campus and community station, CIUT-FM, in May of 2004. Although on the date chosen, he and his wife were in Europe on a long-deferred, much-deserved vacation following his retirement at age 65, and in spite of his having to arrange on the day to be in a particular town in Italy with the right kind of phone line, he never complained. The program was a special two-hour roundtable featuring Griffin and three hosts from CIUTFM. It was also the launch of the 9-11 Show, the world's first radio program devoted exclusively to 9-11 Truth. The show aired for six weeks in conjunction with the six-day International Citizens Inquiry into 9-11 at the University of Toronto at the end of May 2004. I was the director of the inquiry and found Griffin to be consistently cooperative and good-natured, even in trying circumstances. He has also been exceedingly generous with his time in the preparation of this book. So that really brings to the fore what I wrote there, how he was personally. Personally, I would say, and politically and philosophically and every other way, we've really lost a tremendous person in losing him. His two major other things, theology, imperialism, U.S. imperialism, and climate change. And so he wrote a big book. Uh, it's a reference book, really, in 2015 for the... Uh, it was the same year that they had COP21 in, in Paris, the biggest UN uh, climate meeting ever. And actually, it was the biggest meeting of any kind in Paris since World War II. I got into the um, COP21, and I presented that book to, one of, to a group within that two-week-long meeting. Uh, so, and then he and I wrote a little book uh, called... Uh, uh, unprecedented uh, mobilization. We both we both wrote that book. So that th that was climate change, 
And then the, um, the issue of American imperialism. Um, he wrote a fantastic book called uh, The American Trajectory, uh, Divine or Demonic. Where, wherever it is, whether it's uh, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Ukraine, uh, wherever it is, America is just trying to help out. Right? So, so David's book <laughs> basically disproved that. You know, he got the real research that and cited the top scholars of our day. The basic idea is that um, God is in everything, in nature, not above it, not outside of it. It's God is infused into everything and that everything, including the creator, the spirit of creation that in, inhabits everything, it's all in process towards higher value. So that's what David spent his life teaching. And his last book um, on life after death actually uh, gives a beautiful presentation of that idea. Um, so there is one more book coming that's in press right now, um, which is a follow-up to um, uh, the, the book on um, uh, American imperialism, the, uh, uh, the American trajectory. It's kind of an update of that in so far as the Ukraine is concerned. So uh, that'll be out in March and uh, something more to look forward to. You've been listening to our special tribute to the work of David Ray Griffin. You can find more voices in an almost three-hour video online. It can be found by visiting YouTube and looking for the title Professor David Ray Griffin, 1939-2022, a celebration of his life and work. Special thanks to all the guests who made time to express themselves on this program, as well as to their own steadfast determination, determination to commit themselves to truth and justice of 9-11 and the follow-up investigations that work may have led them to. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Inyinyu, Ojikri, Diné, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. Music was Shifting Sands by Purple Planet, available at the site purple-planet.com. If you have a question or comment about this or any other topic we have aired, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been host and producer Michael Welch, wishing you the very best of the holiday season. See you again in 2023.